to the Line Break Podcast. My name is Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my friend and co-host, Bob Sikora. Hello there. Hello, we are here. So this week we are doing another, uh, what have you been reading this week, kind of casual check-in episodes. Um, we have a pretty fun guest lined up for next week, so that's exciting to look forward to. But uh, this week we just thought, you know, we'd do another casual episode where we read some poems. Bob, I guess a, a little wellness check. There was a um, a pretty monumental event in American podcast, uh, American podcast, American politics uh, it was, <laughs> last it was week. Big for a lot of podcasts, I'm sure it was pretty big for a lot of podcasts. Uh, you feeling okay? How you feeling? Feeling feeling pretty okay. You know it. I'm just shaking my head. A lot. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're literally bobbing and weaving. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, um, yeah, certainly better than I would have been. Um, sure, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. A different direction. Uh, it still feels uh, very uneasy, and it's more a relief than a sense of like excitement. Um, but uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of folks lying on TV right now about election fraud and such. So there's a lot you know. of lying on the television right now, <laughs> as we speak. Yeah, um, yeah. Relief rather than happiness uh, definitely describes the mood in in uh, Casa de Corlu. But um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, could have been a lot worse. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. We we were talking the day of. About, yeah. You know, would That's why I brought it up. Any outcome. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I brought it up because last episode we were like, uh, so we're recording and we don't know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, cautious optimism. Cautious optimism. The unfortunate truth is that, yeah, when when you post this in a couple of days, um, who knows? You know, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Again, much like last week, who knows? <laughs> uh, so, shall we dive right into it? Let's jump into some poems. Let's do it. What you got this um, week? Alrighty. So, uh, I'm one of those people who has signed up for the poets.org poem of the day. The Poetry Foundation, Poem of the Day email. I think I have since abandoned Poetry Daily, and not necessarily out of like dislike for their quality or anything. Um, it's just that uh, I already don't read two poems a day that come to my inbox every day. Um, so getting three is is far too many. Um, sure. And I I have been I have been generally con- considering uh, unsubscribing to both of these as well because turns out it's just like a poem in my inbox every morning. And again, like I've gotten these for years. Um, it just does not really work for me. That's not the place where I want to see a poem. Yeah. And the thing I've found out about, I, I found about it is like, it, it's just a poem that appears and it's stripped of any context. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't know who the author is. I don't know where the poem's coming from. If it's like part of a larger piece of work or if it, sure. you know, like it, and, and you shouldn't obviously need all that stuff to enjoy a poem, but I find like if it, if it's just dropped in my lap, especially while I'm checking my email, like I don't, I don't do well with it. I don't engage with it as critically as I would like to. And then uh, I feel bad for not taking the writer seriously. And all that sort of thing. <laughs> I think, I think for me, the inbox is the real problem. It's, you know, it's yeah. like, it's, it's tucked in between some advertisements and something I don't want to respond to and et cetera, et cetera. And it's just right. not the right frame of mind, but occasionally one comes through and you get really excited. Um, this one I was excited about um, because it is from a friend of mine, uh, Dianelli Antigua. We met uh, serendipitously 
quite a long time ago now, four or five years, when she visited my MFA program, she chose to go somewhere else. Um, and I'm only a little bit mad about it still. It seemed like a good <laughs> fit for her. Uh, she had a good couple of years doing that. Um, but we have stayed in touch just from that one time um, for quite a while now. And so pretty thrilling to see uh, her face on the poets.org website and this poem, um, which I quite enjoy. So I'll read it. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Uh, this is called Anniversary. Outside, an abandoned mattress sags with rain, and the driveway turns all sludge when I remember I could have died eight years ago in a bed smaller than the one I share with a new lover who just this morning found another gray hair in my afro. And before resettling the wiry curl with the others, kissed the freckle on my forehead. I admit, I don't know a love that doesn't destroy. Last night while we slept, a mouse drowned in the rice pot I left soaking in the sink. I tried to make a metaphor out of this. The way he took the mouse to the edge of the lake in the yard, released it to a deeper grave. It was an anniversary, just my lover taking a dead thing away, taking it somewhere I couldn't see. Yeah, this one's delightful. I mean, it's very heavy, but it's delightful. <laughs> delightful. <laughs> um, there's there's a lot going on in a really short space, which I think is why I describe it as delightful because it That's just fair. it just it just moves in like what is it like ten lines or whatever. It's you know it's 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 very short, but it feels like there's a lot going on, which right. just feels makes it feel really unique. Uh, I don't know what to make of it as a whole necessarily, but the individual moments are really awesome. Um, right. The, I remember I could have died eight years ago in a bed smaller than the one I share with a new lover who just this morning found another gray hair in my Afro. That feels like a really like brilliant affirmation of aging and like appreciation mm-hmm. of living that in a, in a poem that, you know, maybe uh, in a poem that is kind of a dark poem that felt like a, a really hopeful line to me. Um, right. I, I really dug that. I mean, I think you're, you're hitting at part of what makes um, this poem um, and Dianelli's work in general um, so remarkable to me is, like you said, uh, an incredible sense of efficiency and, you know, making lines really count um, using, using the space of a small amount of poem, I think, in, in really fascinating and exciting ways. And then, like you said, um, there's a pretty, I think, serious push and pull um, between the really low and the really high, the optimism and the negativity, you know, that this is about being with a new lover. Um, yeah. This is about past pain, um, possibly current or future pain, you know, like that final, like you said, that what do you do with this this last image of yeah. The lover taking um, the dead mouse away, <laughs> taking it somewhere I couldn't see. Right. And I, I guess, yeah, why I said delightful is I think I'm bringing a, a little bit of personal stuff to it when I when I use that word. Is that, like, this is a poem that expresses, like, yeah, intense pain and intense joy. And 
something I think I've realized about myself is that um, I am going to cycle through those like every couple of weeks for the rest of my mm, life. That's just how I, right. that's just how I am. Like I am, right. I'm going to have high highs and low lows, you know, over and over mm-hmm. again. Um, and um, this poem just captures that. Um, sure. And the, I wanted to ask you, like, what do you make of the use of the word anniversary, like as the title and for that last image? Because an anniversary right. is, it doesn't always have to be a, uh, 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 a, a word that connotes joy, but I feel like I associate it with, with, with joy, like a wedding anniversary or a, uh, um, uh, you know, an anniversary of, I don't know, you move to a new city. This is your one right. anniversary in the city. Right. Like, you, you know, like Google photos or time hop or whatever shows you like, here's what you're doing two or three years ago or whatever. Um, and then the little blurb on the side on poets.org, you know, she says like, this was inspired by, uh-huh. you know, the eight year anniversary of a time she was faced with death. And you know, it doesn't really go into much detail after that, which, you know, fine. But um, yeah, it's, it's an anniversary just my lover taking a dead thing away, taking it somewhere I couldn't see. And what do we make of that use of the word anniversary? Yeah. I, I similarly puzzled over the title. Yeah, I'm giving the word so much weight um, the first couple times I read it. I think I think part of it is that line that you pointed to, um, when I remember I could have died eight years ago, is that the first time or two that I read that, I didn't take it as like eight years ago to the day. Like it's the anniversary of that day eight years ago. But for me, taking that very literally as so, like you're saying, this is the anniversary of a negative thing. Right. Um, the anniversary of the time, yeah, where whatever happened, whatever that serious thing was. Um, and I think juxtaposing it with some of that connotation of anniversary of, you know, I've been with this person for so long or so long since this good thing happened. And like, you know, in here kind of the, the thing that's ticking me off with that or, you know, connecting to that for me is the new lover. Um, and and you're, yeah, you're right. There's, I think it's, it's bringing to attention this sort of connection between, you know, the, the, the joy you can feel, um, has this relationship to the negative things you felt and probably, probably vice versa too. So that like, you know, this, there's a lot of <laughs> uh, kind of darker, you know, not pleasant imagery here. <laughs> you yeah. Know, the abandoned mattress, the sludge in the driveway, the dead rat. Yeah. Um, you know. I have my, share, my fair share of pests in life. I've had, I've had cockroaches. I've had ants. <laughs> I've had bed bugs. I have never had a mouse drown in my soaking dishes. <laughs> 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 That's just... That seems that seems especially traumatic. Uh, agreed, absolutely. <laughs> and I want to reiterate: I had bed bugs at one point. I don't want to deal with a mouse in a, in a rice pot. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like, yeah, I think there's something really interesting, complicated, hard to hard to wrestle with. Um, you know, on the speaker's standpoint of here's all these not great things to look at. Yeah, particularly the mouse in the pot. 
would be so horrible to wake up to and to look at, um, you know, and kind of um, the way those things are marking this day somehow, that this is a good day, um, you know, this anniversary of whatever had happened, but then also this kind of wrestling with it. I get the two, the two lines that kind of tick me, I keep using this phrase, tick me off. That's not even at all. <laughs> <laughs> it, t- I got <laughs> tick boxes for you. Tick me off. Ticking Tip boxes. You off. Something like that. There yeah, we go. Something like that. Um, it feels almost you exactly sound, you sound real boomerish. You know this this line really ticks me off. <laughs> um, this line does not tick me off. I really like this line, and it feels almost halfway through. Um, I admit I don't know a love that doesn't uh, line break. Name the podcast that doesn't destroy. <laughs> Um, which is, you know, definitely a critical line break, a critical line, you know, which, which for me really complicates everything that's going on here. You know, like you said, I I have, or like I was saying, like you were saying, we were both saying, you know, yeah, there, there does seem to be some optimism, some joy here, but this line is this almost, you know, feeling resigned to, you know, even this love um, is going to destroy somehow. It's hard for me to know what to do with that line. And I, you know, I feel like you could read it as almost like a self-destructiveness on the speaker's part mm-hmm. or a, or, or, or a hint at trauma or things like that. The way I kind of chose to read it. And I, you know, I don't know if that there's, there's not a right or wrong answer, but the way I chose to read it in the context of all of this was that I don't know a love that doesn't destroy in the context of, having the I could have died eight years ago and, and sort of like the speaker seems like they're on a bit of an upswing, like seems like that a, uh, I don't know a love that doesn't destroy, but then like sort of all this other positive stuff with the new lover. And, and, uh, uh, I, 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 I guess I chose to read that line as a, um, more of a learning to find a love that doesn't destroy. And maybe that's me bringing my own shit to it. Like, uh, you know, kind of, kind of taking stock of things and, and using that as like part of the healing process. But I, you know, that could just be like, yeah, me bringing my own shit to it. I don't know. Okay. But I, it's, I kind of, it's definitely ambiguous. I kind of felt like I had to connect that line to the ending. Um, it was an anniversary, just my lover taking a dead thing away, taking it somewhere I couldn't see. So in that case, the lover taking the dead thing, um, I'm thinking, the anniversary, taking the event, maybe even taking some of the trauma, you know, and taking it somewhere I couldn't see. So which, you know, to me implies like not necessarily really getting rid of it, but right. the gesture is to like at least hide it for a little bit or at least make it better for a little bit. Take it somewhere where I can't see. I can't focus on it. Right. And and that does almost kind of invert the 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 way the love is destroying right there. You know, it's almost, it's destroying. A oh, bad that's a good thing. point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I agree. I, I feel like I could talk myself in circles yeah. um, through the yeah. poem. You could go about eight different ways on this poem if you really wanted to. Right. And I guess too, like there's something about this poem that kind of reads to me as like desiring to be, tender and affectionate and taking care of yourself um even amidst all the shit yeah yeah going back to this mattress in the rain the sludge (laughs) 
the mouse, and we have that, you know, the the one little part, it's funny how much it's colored our whole reading of this, but it's, you know, it's three lines about being in bed with the lover. Yeah. You know, but the lover resettling the curl, kissing the freckle on the forehead, we have that, you know, really, you know, tender moment, you know, and, and this poem, you know, desiring for the mouse to be taken out, to be hidden. And again, I think I'm still reading that as as kind of, filling in for whatever the anniversary is of. And this also might be me bringing my own shit to the poem, you know, but yeah, I, I read this as, as um, at least hoping and wanting um, to kind of bring some tenderness to yourself. Yeah. 100%. Ugh. Yeah. And I, I, I feel this way about a lot of her poems um, in that they really engage with the complexity um, of of a feeling and of a moment, you know, and and using great images like this, the mouse in the pot's incredible. I need to oh, ask yeah. if this is a real event. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I love, yeah, the I, I think perhaps the like the real poet moment of this. I don't like the way that sounds, but the maybe the most poety moment of this. I tried to make a metaphor of this. Um, oh, maybe yeah, admitting yeah. defeat. You know, I the, wanted to uh, write a poem about this. I right. wanted there to be a metaphor. <laughs> There's just not. It's just a mouse in the sink. Well, it, it fits the poem. It fits like this, like sort of. This is a complexity of life kind of poem, and and uh, um, you know, like it, it's natural, not even for poets, but just for humans to try to make meaning out of something to right to apply cosmic meaning to the most mundane of events um you know if you live in the right if you live in the right place mice can drown in your ice pot all the time (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i did want to quickly highlight speaking of living in the right place i feel like this poem does so much work with setting although it's Mm -hmm. not explicitly like a nature poem right like the driveway turns to sludge in the rain the lover throws the mouse into the lake at the edge of the yard mm-hmm. and there's an abandoned mattress. I feel like I can picture this place. Um, sure. It's like, have you ever been to like a, like a lake house community? Like, okay. Like a, a, a sort of like cottage uh, uh-huh. area, you know, maybe we're like around the lake or something like that. But like, this feels like not particularly one of the nice ones, you know? Right. <laughs> like, uh, uh, yeah, there's an abandoned mattress and the driveways turned to sludge and stuff like that. And, right. you know, this could be anywhere in the world. Everyone in the world has, sure. you know, someplace <laughs> like this. But uh, I just feel like I have a couple of pictures of, like, places in Indiana and Michigan, Tennessee, uh, Wisconsin that, like, that look like this poem, <laughs> even though this poem isn't specifically describing settings. Sure. That's, that's that's master writing. I don't know. It's it, well, yeah, it, but I yeah. mean that you know the whatever the feeling is that we're talking about, and again, I feel like we're, we're both on the same page of that of of this comfortableness with you know the poem's not the the poem's doing so much work and is exciting and engaging, even if we can't quite put our finger on that that central point. Right. But that yeah, I think that um, I think what we're both appreciating about the poem is like how many ways it's pointing at that thing. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the setting is yeah. absolutely one of the ways um, it's working there. It is resisting the absolute hell out of paraphrase. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I won't take you through this uh, right now, and especially more for the re- the, the listener's sake as opposed to you. Um, I, w- I would need to have the visual here. But it, without a, a strict 
for meter going on here, like I could absolutely teach rhythm and meter with this poem. Um, okay. There were several moments where I like I could I don't normally just like hear it when yeah. I'm reading something, and this one it felt just like really strong with me. Um, kind of starting from my admit, there's like this middle chunk of lines where the sentences are a little bit shorter, the lines are a bit a little bit shorter, and just like the beats hit really hard. Um, the stronger kind of stressed syllables, um, and I'm one of those people where I just like absolutely nerd out when I hear it. I'm sure, like, oh, sure. they're going, they're going. <laughs> Every sound counts right here, you know. I'd have to, I'd have to read it again out loud to, uh, to, to appreciate what you're saying. Um, as has been established before, r- rhythm and meter are not necessarily my strong suits when it comes to. You know, I mean, I, I'm just. Uh... <sighs> I just hear enough people. A better poet? Is that what you're going to say? You're just a better poet? No. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I know enough people who, you know, complain about the challenge of, of meter. Um, and I, I swear, you know, there's like three pages in a Robert Pinsky sound book that I feel like we could teach anyone meter with. Like it's, it's there. And you're so close to it. If you're reading a poem and enjoying it, um, you're you're picking up stuff with sound. You know, like you might not have it all squared yeah. up. And also, it's like it's not a perfect science. <laughs> Maybe part of the secret, right? I feel a little bit like um, I feel a little bit like so. I'm I'm really well trained in musical theory, mm-hmm. um, and so whenever I'm writing songs, I can't help but to like know what chord I'm playing and where it is in the the scale and the key and um, right. things like that. And then I've played with other musicians who don't know any music theory at all. And I'll be like, oh, so it's like this, this, and this. And they'll be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And <laughs> I'll be like, okay, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll fill in the bass line here or whatever. You know, it's like, I, I got it. Don't worry. Yeah, I feel a little bit that way with um, with uh, uh, scanning poems where it's just like, mm-hmm. uh, I'm just like, yeah, I sort of know it when I hear it, but I don't. I don't have the vocabulary for it. Like I, Fair. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I know when something sounds like it's like it's hitting beats and, 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 and doing things rhythmically. I just, I can't put a name to it and stuff like that. And, and I, <laughs> yeah, every time I've tried to, poem. every time like a teacher has assigned me to scan a poem, whether in college or in high school or in middle school, I just have failed miserably. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, as a consolation, like I never had someone teach, rhythm meter well until grad school so okay there you, <laughs> you go know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and also know. as a teacher i have failed doing it before so sure, you know, sure. <laughs> what are you gonna do <laughs> uh, all righty i i was so thrilled to see this poem pop up this was the end, end of september um yeah that's awesome I, I didn't know i didn't know you were friends with her either and that's uh that's great. It's a, it's a good poem. I'm really glad to have been introduced to it. I want to check yeah. more of her out. Oh, she's great. Where's her book? Her book's on my shelf. Her book's so good. All right, I'm gonna just be gushing now. So we better we better change gears. We better shift. All right. So I am um, I'm gonna be reading from uh, Joe Winderoth's Letters to Wendy's. I was sort of inspired to thumb through this um, because <laughs> I feel like. So the Trump era just ended, right? And, or, well, we hope, um, in theory. And one product of this immensely stupid era that we live in has been the uh, Sir, This is a Wendy's meme. 
uh, right. you know how like uh, the yeah. hashtag resistance Twitter will reply to one of Trump's like deranged tweets with "Sir, this is a Wendy's," like it's right. not supposed to be the ultimate dunk or whatever. So yeah, I was like, oh, what, 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 what should I, what should I send to the podcast this week? What should I do? And so I, I picked this up. Um, and I knew it was a book. I've only read it in anthologies. Um, I knew it was a book, but I didn't know he made a whole 296 page novel out of it. And it's just these like wow. a series of like short prose poems, uh, written over the course of a year on Wendy's comment cards back in, you know, 1996 when they had comment cards. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I like these, uh, enough I don't know if I could sit through 296 pages of these. Um, I, 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 I think I might, my brain might explode, but I do, I do like reading them in, uh, in little, um, in little chunks every once in a while. So this is the entry titled September 5th. They're all dates that all the entries are dates. Um, this is the entry titled September 5th, 1996. Naturally, I think about smashing the skulls and rib cages of the other customers. They stand in line so smug-like. They were safe, outside of the desires of or for another. It's as if, for them, there is no other's desire. As if desire was one thing and was ours. Restraining myself is dishonest. It's a way of maintaining a keen sense of the unforeseeable injuries which shall certainly reunite us. Listeners can't see my smile. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I, you already, you know, created some context, um, but you sent this to me and just questions, 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 questions. Of, of what? Well, um, most importantly, it's it's important to remember that this internal monologue is taking place at a Wendy's. Right. In 1996. <laughs> Which, again, still, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, this, it seems like such an interesting and bizarre exercise. Um, and like you said, I, I, it's hard for me to even picture this coming to its full thing of what this would look like over 300 pages, um, what sense or lack of sense and coherence there would be. You know, again, what coherence or lack of coherence there would be. But it is this, like, really just fascinating and bizarre meditation, you know, that, that starts from this place of such negativity about smashing skulls. Hey. Um, <laughs> well, uh, and then and then uh, you know it thinks about desire and honesty and, and belonging yeah. by the end, and I don't know how we got so far. <laughs> well, the <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's a lot to unpack. The two things that stuck out to me is that okay. um, so I've worked fast food before, and when you work fast food to work fast food is to hate every single person around you customers coworkers, just everybody you you go home smelling like the fast food your uniform never gets the smell off of it um uh it's 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 just not 
a pleasant work environment. Everyone there is mm-hmm. entitled. Like like all the customers are are extremely selfish. And even the nice ones, you just forget about immediately because you're like, oh well, that was a nice interaction. That's not memorable. <laughs> you 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 <laughs> hold on to the people that are mean to you, right? But then there was like this intersection with like where my personal politics lie, which is like rooted in a strong sense of community and a strong social safety net and, and people like taking care of each other and, and things like that. Um, but how much some of this language from 1996, like, you know, just reminded me of like a lot of like the right wing grievances that we've had to listen to for the last five or six years. Mm -hmm. Like the, uh, the, um, restraining myself is dishonest. Like, like that, that's like an anti PC thing, you know, like, like, (laughs) like political correctness is dishonest. It's Uh a way in, and, um, it's as if for them, there was no other's desire as if desire was one thing and it was ours. And that that feels like grievance politics. And, (laughs) um, it, it just, it, yeah, it feels like the inherent selfishness of like, standing in line for food that will take at maximum three minutes to make. And, uh, yeah, just wanting this immediate like hit of this unhealthy food that'll give you a dopamine rush. Um, and wanting everybody else in the restaurant to just get the hell out of your way. Um, that sort of thing. And, and yeah, just kind of like a, the, a, a selfishness that comes with being hungry in a fast food line, but like, blown out into this bigger meditation that the poem is kind of hinting at. (laughs) (laughs) So, but maybe I've been brain poisoned by the Trump era. I don't know, but um, (laughs) that's where it took me anyway. I mean, it's, I can see what you're saying. They stand in line so smug, like they were safe outside. Interesting, like a italicized outside plus a dash, which I'm not quite sure how to read. Yeah, I wasn't sure how to read that either, and I couldn't tell. I don't have a copy of the book, so I don't know if that's the way the poem is in the book or if this is like a weird quirk of the Tumblr that we're reading this from. (laughs) But (laughs) Fuck yeah, poetry.tumblr.com. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I I don't know. But yeah, I also don't know how to read that. Um, But uh, yeah, it says, uh, outside the desire of or for an other it's as if for them there is no other's desire, as if desire was one thing and was ours. That's huge. Um, yeah. You know, thinking about, do I even have the language for this? Right. Thinking about, um, I guess, subjectivity and thinking about how, how much other people actually are concerned with other people. I mean, like, like you're saying, right. the fast food restaurant seems like a good place to kind of think about this because it is everyone's in and out. You know, we want their food quick. That's the whole reason we're here. Um, but there's an interplay here. Interplay is definitely not the word I'm looking for. There's a there's a way here how you know the the speaker immediately. Um, uh, I kind of lose my my trust for him with that first line. Of, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming he's kind of an asshole. Naturally, um, I think about smashing the right, skull. Um, you know, so I've got this narrator that I'm like, okay, maybe not my guy, um, but that he might be making some sort of point about other people's, you know, lack of consideration, um, and asshole or whatever. And, 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 you know, so we have this, this 
meta, um, what, what does an asshole think other assholes are doing? Um, right. Like, oh, yeah, good point. all of us. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I thought the, the line you highlighted, uh, it's as if for them there's no other's desire, as if desire was one thing and was mm-hmm. ours. The no other's desire, but then that ours at the end is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Yes. Because it could be there's no other's desire, as if desire was one thing and it was mine or it was theirs or whatever. Right. But like, no, it was ours. And then that feels like drawing a like tribal line in the sand kind of thing where you're just mm-hmm. like, like our, whoever that nebulous ours is, their desires matter. Right. But the others don't. Oh, I was going to connect it back to the first line, but I, I don't remember how, <laughs> but like maybe just the, the inherent violence of naturally wanting to smash the skulls right. in the cage of other customers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there seems to be like, um, there seems to be some sort of picking aside thing happening here. Uh, right. That right. is that... really interesting to do at a Wendy's. <laughs> um, but it, I think like you're saying it does, it speaks to something that I, I have felt contemporarily um, in just, you know, um, in seeing the sort of like lack of empathy um, yeah. Sometimes it feels like I see in other people, um, you know, where it's just like, how do you not understand um, that, you know, people want basic, like, um, dignity, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that, like that somehow there's this disconnect that maybe both what's being played here is, is that one, the, the lack of empathy from this theoretical person that I'm talking about, but also like my inability to understand how that person got to whatever took them to what they're saying. Right. There's, there's definitely with, with the speaker in in this entry, at least like a, um, why are you the way you are? (laughs) 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 That, uh, meme from the primaries where it's a Bernie Sanders writing on a whiteboard and someone, uh, photoshopped over it i'm trying to help you motherfuckers <laughs> right <laughs> just like why can't you have some empathy you motherfucker <laughs> like how i read this poem right, right. Um, and i'm sure if you know, cracked up the whole novel you know you'd be able to chart like where the speakers you know uh what the what the narrative discourse is and stuff like that and where right. where, where the speaker's going but we're just looking at this one thing, and I yeah, mean, I, I, I love things, a so many things. something this small without the context. Right. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, I, I feel it, like uh, I feel like we'd be a little remiss to not come back to this ending because I, I found yeah, I found myself really captivated by that middle part and that no other's desire. But like you said, the restraining myself is dishonest. <laughs> so kind of like talking himself into that, like he needs to do something about this. Um, it's a way of maintaining a keen sense of the unforeseeable injuries which shall certainly reunite us Um, which like on I guess the the first thing uh, this is going back a few weeks but it felt very um, I don't know almost like preachery or Christian you know that that something is going to reunite us all someday whether we like each other or not Um, but uh, it's a way of maintaining a keen sense of the unforeseeable injuries there's something so threatening 
in that sentence. Yeah. Um, I'm having trouble parsing it. But I don't know. Maybe you had something. I kind of read it as like a, um, you know, how people like to say things like, well, you know, like it's, it's the ending of Watchmen where they have the octopus attack uh, Manhattan and it's like mm-hmm. a near extinction level event and that gets humans to put aside their petty squabbles and unite right. or whatever or like Independence Day the aliens come and all of humanity unites against the aliens kind of thing I've always kind of like I don't feel like that trope is true <laughs> um, and <laughs> I feel like uh, COVID-19 proves it um, that uh, um, even in the face of just about certain death or permanent injury we'll still find ways to uh to have petty squabbles with each other but it almost feels like uh that last line feels like a little bit of a sort of a an optimistic doomsday prophecy to me where like okay. you know, it's just like something bad's going to happen to all of us and then only then after that something bad happens will we be able to get along which <laughs> i i always just like find bullshit but like that that's that's what I read it as. Um, Let me so, temporarily uh, composition teacher this. Um, so if this is an essay I'm getting from a student, which would be great. <laughs> but uh, so the last two sentences: restraining myself is dishonest. It's a way of maintaining a keen sense. Am I correct in the pronoun "it's there" is referring to restraining myself? I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. So restraining myself is a way of maintaining a keen sense of the unforeseeable injuries, which will certainly reunite us. It's still a really weird thought. It's a weird thought. Yeah. I wonder if I'm going to talk myself into my own reading, restraining myself is a way of not alienating every human around me so that when the extinction level event happens, (laughs) I still have some friends. (laughs) That's a reach. That's, I don't know. (laughs) There's something Um, there. Um, I mean, just all of this has made me feel so, um, so, 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 uh, you know, suspicious of this narrator. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, and reading the, reading the ones that um, I have in the anthology and then reading the ones that are on this uh, fuckyeahpoetry.tumblr.com, yeah, we should act absolutely consider this narrator suspicious. Uh, <laughs> especially since he's writing in the 90s. Everyone in the 90s was suspicious. Oh, I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, it was a great era for sports and movies and, and, and things. But, you know, just everyone was suspicious. <laughs> you watch Good Will Hunting, one of the most heartwarming movies of all time. And the first name you see on screen is Harvey Weinstein. Everyone's suspicious. You have a point there. <laughs> That's when we got off track. <laughs> That's when we got off track. Hey, you know what was good in the 90s? Basketball. Basketball. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so hard, hard pivot. A, 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 a rookie shack level hard pivot to uh, pull the backboard down. <laughs> To the NBA question. So, and this one doesn't even really have anything to do with the topic. Um, the, 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 well, not necessarily the topic, but either poem. Right. But so, uh, did you see the uh, new 76ers alternate jerseys? I did. Black ones? Okay. 
like, dislike. I don't really know how I feel about them. Yeah, pretty pretty mixed. I think there's something that could be cool there, but it's not quite working. Yeah, it's like a solid C plus. I feel like. Okay. It's like, I don't know. Um, and yeah, like Zach Lowe had a um, paywalled story about how like Ben Simmons and Allen Iverson were involved in the design, which oh. is interesting to me. But I can't afford ESPN Insider. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that got me thinking. What are your favorite and least favorite alternate jerseys throughout history? There are a lot to consider because the last couple of years, the NBA has been doing that statement jersey thing. Um, so, yeah. We've got like four jerseys a team every season right now. It's, it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. So I, I, I did have some trouble, and I don't even know if my favorite is, is, is my favorite. Okay. But, and I'm sorry to be predictable. But uh, it might be the Bulls Chicago flag jerseys from the last couple of years. Um, you would. They are, they are very cool. They, yeah, and they're objectively probably not the best alternate jerseys throughout history, but I can't be expected to be objective when <laughs> the Chicago Bulls roll out jerseys based on the Chicago flag. I right. even like the white jerseys, and I don't like white jerseys. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, those were, those were cool. But not liking white jerseys leads me into my least favorite pick, which is the Lakers white jerseys. Oh, Lakers white jerseys are terrible. They're terrible. I've always hated when the Lakers wear white jerseys. I don't like white jerseys in general, and the Lakers have always had an out. They wear gold at home. Right. And it, You've got these great purple jerseys, these gold jerseys. Why do you need to do white and black? Why do you need I to do white and black? I don't get it. Yeah, it's, it's so dumb. And, and especially those gold jerseys look good with literally every team's road jerseys. Right. You know, like, right. like Lakers Spurs, gold and black pops, Lakers Bulls, gold and red pops, like Lakers Supersonics, gold and green pops. Like it just, it always looks cool. Right. And every time I see a Bulls Lakers game and the Bulls are wearing black and the Lakers are wearing white, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Wear the red and gold. <laughs> so. <sighs> That's mine. Okay. Okay. I, I, I don't even have a specific one anymore. Um, and as a, uh, certainly currently a, a major hater of the franchise, I hate to admit it, but um, every time the Denver Nuggets have had like the rainbow stripe thing in the middle of the jersey um, with the mountain, um, it looks cool as hell. And I know at one time yeah. the regular jersey, but they've like brought it back in several different forms. Maybe like the gold ones are the ones I'm thinking, which were like yeah. really ostentatious. Oh, really good, yeah. Pretty darn cool. Yeah, I like those, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm generally going to be pretty pro um, as much weird coloring as possible. I'm also like, as I'm saying this, I'm like, there have been like bright green Hawks jerseys, and I'm always about that. Like, Really? Um, yeah, give me those, oh, please. Give them to me. See, I want the Hawks to go back to those um, to Kembe Mutombo and Steve Smith with the, uh, the the red and black with the actual hawk across the front. I mean, I'm also coming at this with like pretty much the entire '90s NBA. I'm still down for bring it back. I agree. The, the full sure. hawk on the Hawks jerseys, the full buck on the Bucks jerseys. Oh Let's yeah, go. yeah, yeah. Um, even going back to the Nuggets, even the Nuggets like goldish brown. It was like a hideous color. Oh god, um, those are bad. Those are oh, those are gross. I'll take them, bring them back. The Alfonso <laughs> Ellis era Denver Nuggets jerseys. I'm 
here for it. I am I am also ride or die for the Pistons t- teal jerseys. Right? Give me the teal jerseys. Same Give me the, the teal Grizzlies, jerseys. The Raptors, like all of it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, For a bad one, I mean, <laughs> uh, since the ever since the Clippers got rid of their original red, white, and a little bit of blue knockoff Lakers jerseys uh, that they wore for the first like twenty years, everything they've done has been bad. Every single one has been bad. The the one good ones they had, the baby blues with the uh, with the red mm-hmm. cursive, they right. screwed up by making them sleeved. Yes. Oh, that's right. They look so cool, and then they put sleeves on them, and it's yeah. just like, oh, gross. Thank goodness the sleeve jersey era is gone. Thank I, goodness. At least we have that. It's gross. Oh, I hated <laughs> sleeve jerseys. Uh, we, we, we forever have, uh, you know, arguably one of the, the best performances in games of all time with uh, Game 7, Cleveland beating the Warriors, and LeBron is wearing a sleeved jersey. But, you I know. know. It's so embarrassing. It's just, <laughs> Take the like image away. Chase down block is just like that he does on Iguodala. has, like, the sleeve on it. It's just like, uh, <laughs> gross. Poor LeBron. <laughs> Cleveland <laughs> has never had a good jersey. Oh, full disagree. Entirely disagree with this. I'm exaggerating a little bit. They've had, like, two good jerseys. Um, I love the, the old blue and orange ones. You know, Craig Elo. Strong um, disagree. Oh come on! <laughs> I mean, the, definitely the first round of LeBron there. Really. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the early two thousand one in Golder. I liked those. I did not like those. Really? No. Oh. I think that logo's really bad. The weird C. I'm out on those. Oh yeah. man. Oh, okay. They had some okay things when LeBron came, like right after he left Kyrie years. <sighs> the uh, black and blue basketball hoop ones from, like, when Sean Kemp was on the team. I love them. Really? Absolutely. Love them. Those look like they were done on Corel 94. I'll take them. I'm fine. Great colorway. Love it. All of it. It's, like, not, uh, you know, um, I don't know. I feel like it's, like, a slanted color scheme. I don't know. I'm all Yeah. Give me your weirdest ones. (laughs) Who? Wait, you never uh, you never picked a a least favorite though. I I mean, uh, you know what you know what I'm gonna say. I can't even come up with a with a good specific one. I, I guess I can come up with like one team, but any gray jersey ever. Oh yeah, here. Spurs yeah. gray, bad. Pistons gray, bad. Grizzlies gray, bad. Yeah, bad, bad, bad. Get out of here. The Spurs are uh, especially egregious offenders because like. That their black and white color scheme really works in a right. way that the Brooklyn Nets one doesn't. Um, so just stick with your black and white color scheme. But they'll go gray and they'll go camo sometimes. And yeah. Any camo jersey, just get it out of here. Yeah. Just hate it. it. The Raptors went camo one time. It's terrible. Or maybe their <laughs> court was camo, not their jerseys. I can't remember. But yeah, any camo jersey, I just, uh, it's, uh, I don't, it doesn't play well on a basketball court. It doesn't work. <laughs> But yeah, I I think that's a that's a solid choice. Any gray jersey feels like like a practice jersey. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and I, I can hardly like really describe it, but just there's a Pistons one that's in my head is just being like so disgusting. Oh, I can picture it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. got like the stripes down the side, and yeah, yeah just uh, yeah, not good, not good. Yeah. That's a negative note to leave. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we are we are leaving on trashing NBA jerseys. That's not that's not fun. Um, uh, I, I I I can't it's think of them. positive. Yeah, there's... yeah. We started off with positive. We ended up with you know. I mean, it's it's a good day um, when uh, we can be concerned about jerseys being bad. Um, more that's true. Than some other big things. Obviously, that's there's still true. a lot to be concerned about, but um, you know. And I guess I could say that uh, most NBA teams have really good jerseys so that you critique the bad ones because they they stick out stick against out. A, yeah. a sea of just excellent fashion choices from the NBA. Right. Uh, far <laughs> far superior to any other league. Uh, like like it is in – like the NBA is far superior to any other league in all categories. <laughs> uh, the NBA is never going to pay us for this podcast. <laughs> Nice try, though. Adam Silver, if you're into poetry, <laughs> hit us up for some sponsorship deals. We will endorse Sprite or whatever. <laughs> All right, that's been an episode. Our music is produced by Brendan Johnson. Our art is done by A.M. Strickland. And we will talk to you guys next week.